goal today is that there's a problem because problems will always still happen. That's life. But how quick does it take us to get to the solution? Yeah. So ultimately, you go through a whole bunch of trauma, a whole bunch of experiences, negative emotions. Um, you know, four yards are no joke, right? And ultimately, you end up. Uh, let's let's back. Right, let's go back to uh, when you got busted. So you ended up getting busted on North Unit. Let's pick up right back there um, because it's important to really understand. The whole point is is that. To qualify yourself, to talk about the traumas, to talk about all the things that you've been through, and then but ultimately get to that point of desperation. What, when did that happen? What happened with that? Like, when did you finally um, start looking in the mirror and be like, "Dude, fuck, I got to do something different," right? Yeah, and yeah. so that, and so that's what we're looking for. And so you get busted, and then yeah. you end up back in the tents, right? So let's talk a little bit about. Um, what it was like getting busted, how you were feeling when that happened and the consequences that came from that, that ultimately led you to say, you know what, I'm sick of living this way. I'm yeah. willing to do something different. You had just a little bit of honesty, open-mindedness and willingness, tiny bit. just a <laughs> tiny bit. Cause I remember. Yeah. Um, and so what was that like? So they move you and then you go to the tents and the tents and it was summertime, if I'm correct. Uh, I think, yeah, but it was like, I think it was the end, end of, of summer, summer because. I, so what I was, was that like for you? I was there when it was cold and then I was there when it was hot too. So it just so like you, you, time, lose, you lose your job. Yeah, lose my job. I had, I had made probably about a thousand dollars in store um, from hitting on the yard um, from when I met you. Mm-hmm. And um, I I'd sent that. some money to old man Roy, mm-hmm. Roy's daughter. Yeah, and um, I remember that. And, and. I just started, you know, and I had a street habit by that time. I yeah. I got strung out in the yard, which I'd said I, I never would do. And, um, you know, because we say we'll never do this or that until we do. Right. And, um, <clears throat> and I was in those tents and I just got busted trying to make booze because I ran through this thousand dollars in about a month and a half, just buying dimes and twenties on the yard. And, um, you know, and, and this whole time I could still make myself believe that, you know, I, I get it back. I'll be all right. And, um, you know, and, and I was chipping away just enough dope to, to, um, stay, go to sleep that night. And I was starting to hustle these younger kids and, um, th- these dudes who just got to prison, find out if they had money on their books and tell them I could get, you know, I could get them some dope. And, um, I was being a, like a real dirt bag and I, I'd, I'd co-sign for for chunks, um, knowing damn well that if the dude couldn't pay for it, then I could be like, well, I didn't co-sign for that shit. Or um, so, every, so everything that you know, when you talk about standing for something in prison and being right. solid and doing all these things, it's the same kind of realization that I had. It's like, dude, everything that I said that I stood for, everything yeah. that I was important. I was not, I, that wasn't the way I was living. I became the dude that I used to talk shit yeah, about, right? I made myself believe I was something I wasn't. Really, when it comes down to it, I was a junkie. A junkie that that dope was more important than any kind of morals or values or principles. Um, when, the, when the shit hits the fan, uh, all that shit goes out the window. When I don't feel good, then, then, I, then I don't really give a shit about um, principles, morals, or values. And mm-hmm. And I was starting to be that person. And I used to look down on those people. I used to talk shit about the dudes who would run the youngsters down through there. And, and they, they extort them and bully them. And, and they wouldn't pay people that wouldn't pay their bills. And, and I was starting to become that person. And, um, you know, I had some friends. Jack, my first sponsor, um, would store shit out to me. Um, Indy and Levi and these dudes would store shit out to me. But now every store day, I started having a fear store day. I remember mm. you used to say that. Yeah. And, um, 
because I didn't know how I was going to pay these bills. And, and it was breaking down the ego that I had built and, and the portrayal that I had given to everybody. Um, these things were starting to break that down um, to show to not be true. Right. And, and uh, the covers were being pulled mm -hmm. on who I really was. And I didn't fucking like it. I didn't like who, you know, I didn't like the guilt and the shame. I didn't like, um, calling my dad begging for fucking $40 because I needed hygiene when really I needed to pay a bill, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, so all these things start to pile up on you and ultimately you find recovery. And what I remember, so I wasn't ready for recovery. I was still in the game. I was still doing my thing. I could remember you coming over cause we had a phone, a cell phone and you would come over, um, and you would make phone calls. You would try to call Rachel. And that was a little after though, the point, the, that point. Okay. So when did you make it to your first meeting? How did that all happen? So I remember being, I remember being in my, my rack one night and I wasn't feeling good. I was, I was dope sick. And you know how them emotions just start to kind of flood over you when you're not feeling good. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I had this vision of that little cemetery behind central unit with all them little white crosses that they have a person's name and the, their birthday and death date. And that's it. And these are people who died in prison with no family to claim their body. Um, no friends who, who, you know, still talk to them. Um, everybody they knew was in prison still. And they have some pastor who's paid or maybe not paid. Um, I don't know, but some, a pastor, you don't know, come and say last rites over your body and then they die. And then that's it. And they're in this little grave in the back of central unit. And that's all there is to remember these dudes by. And, um, and I, I knew that was going to be me. I was like, yeah, I got a release date. I'm going to get out. But every time I get out, I come right back and they're giving me more and more time. And I'm going to be one of these old ass dudes who hates myself and hates life and hates everyone around me with all these faded blue tattoos. And, uh, you know, and just, um, just hating everybody and miserable. A lot of these dudes seem miserable. And, uh, I went into a run that Maui and Indy lived in and, uh, I was begging Indy to, to loan me 40 bucks because I owed uh, Jack 40 bucks. Um, and I, and I almost broke down crying, dude. And, and I'm like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to pay you. And I don't know when I'm going to be able to pay you, but I fucking need this $40. Um, and Indy's like, all right, you know, chill out, bro. Just, just kick back. Uh, I got you. And, um, by the way, I took that $40, went and paid 30 of the bill and, and, and went and bought a dime. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, um, and Maui was there and he said, he said, bro, you know, I, I see you bopping around the yard. I see what you've been doing and everybody sees it, dude. And, and it looks like it sucks, dude. And I know that that shit sucks because I was there. And why don't you come check out this meeting? Um, and I nodded my head and agreed like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I probably will. I had no intention of it, but you know, I nodded my head. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he, he reached out is what happened. And he's like, dude, if you ever need to talk to someone, if you ever need to talk, just come holler at me. And that meant, that meant something to me. And, um, he's the dude I work for now, by the way, he gave me a job, uh, a week out of prison. And, um, so it, the seed was planted, there was a seed planted and, I knew some other guys. I talked to Jack a little bit. He was in recovery. He'd asked me if I'd ever thought about it. Um, Toby Ray, uh, Shane Beck, 
Um, some of these guys were in recovery that I kind of liked. I talked to, got to know them a little bit and, and they were always, you know, pretty kind to me and they didn't judge me even though they were, they were sober. Um, they didn't get involved in that shit on the yard, but they always, they didn't seem to judge me and they, and they had some compassion for me and what I was going through. And, and they always were like, just come to this meeting, man. Why don't, why don't you just come to this meeting? And I know I'm forgetting other people. Matt Leathers, he was one of them. Another, the brownie guy that everyone knew would mm-hmm. get brownies. Um, and so that could be the hardest part, right? The hardest part is getting and walking through that door. The fear that's associated you know, with it. I didn't want to um, be a lame. I didn't yeah. want to be the lame that had Especially to be in a prison, right? Because I'm not strong enough to fucking to control my own bullshit. Like, yeah, I don't want people to think that about me. Um, because I want everybody to think about me a certain way. I've been building this identity for, for years and years and years and the covers were starting to get pulled in and, uh, and I couldn't really live up to that identity too much anymore. So that was a look that made me desperate enough to be honest about, all right, uh, I can't stop getting high. I can't control it to any degree, even though I'd never been strung out on the yard. Um, and so you find him, you find the meeting, right. And you see, yeah. you get a sponsor, you start working the steps. And I remember during this period of time, um, I wasn't, I was opposed to it. I wasn't even ready yeah. to find a program. So you had a disagreementally opposed. Yeah. And, yeah. And you wouldn't, you started to distance yourself obviously for good reasons. And I remember telling you, Hey, if you want to relapse, come find me. Yeah. That's a, that was, uh, that was almost the final straw. Mikey Ross dude. And even Adam Tronier a little bit, dude, that, that was the hardest thing for me. Cause I loved you guys and, and you guys were my boys and, and we might've been getting high together, but you guys were my boys. And, and, um, and I knew that, you know, this, this me going into recovery could ruin it, but I was just desperate enough that I needed to do something. And, um, and you had been complaining that you were going to lose your visits and you weren't going to be able to see your, your girl was going to be pissed as fuck. And, and you're going to not be able to see your daughter and girl no more. And, and I had said, um, uh, well, why don't you just try to take a break for a little while? And you're like, oh, I fucking spiritual step three all of a sudden. And now you're all spiritual yeah. on step three. And, and dude, come find me when you want to relapse. And uh, and and looking back at it, when I looked back at it later, dude, really, bro, you saying that, the cord, that cord needed to be cut because I was not sure. I kept coming back under the guise of, uh, I just want to make sure my boys are doing all right. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to like, or you would come use the phone, right? Yeah, we had a phone. Yeah. I'd pretend like I'd go use the cell phone to call my girl, um, which I hadn't talked to my girl at, for almost three years at that point. I needed to go call my girl. She knew where I was. And Jack had told me, hey, your girl knows where you're at. And if she wants, if she wants to talk to you, she'll write you a letter and wrote you in three years now. Um, so just a side note while we're at this point. So you would come over, you would act like you would call your girl. Sometimes you would try, sometimes you would dial half the number. Usually and you said, I wouldn't, yeah. And yeah, and you said previous times that, yeah. you know, you were hoping that we would just hook you up yeah. with some free dope so you could justify using it. Yeah. And, um, in my head, it was like, dude, I plug you motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, and, but, was I, mine. but I just couldn't bring myself a lot of the times to say, just let me get some dope because then, then I would be a fraud because I was sitting here pretending like I was tr- trying to do recovery and, and I, and, and if I asked for it, then I'd be a fraud. But if you just um, gave it to me, gave it, gave it, or offered it to me, then then I could justify that shit and rationalize it in my head that um, you, you I, that you're still looking at me like I'm not a hypocrite, right? Sure. So it's the, the disease of delusion again. Again, right? You know? And so you end up just on a side note, right? So you end up getting out of prison. You haven't seen Rachel in how many years? 
I hadn't seen her um, the whole four and a half. You know, okay, so half how do you run down. back into her? Um, so I went to a McDonald's. I went to one of the sanctuaries, and uh, and there's a McDonald's on 19th and Dunlap or Northern. It ain't too far from from the sanctuary I was at, and I. I went to this McDonald's and I seen this chick that I knew from the methadone clinic. And she's like, Oh, Josh, how you doing? Uh, and I was in recovery at this time. And I had, I had solid, strong recovery at this time. I had almost a year and a half when I got out and, and, um, and I had no fear about getting out this time. Um, that's another thing is I, I had enough faith and trust, faith in the higher power, trust in the process to know that I was going to be okay, no matter what happened. And, this chick saw me and she told me she had some, some benzo, some zannies or something. And, and I, and I tried to break it down to her, give her a little 12 step in, like, mm-hmm. I don't do that shit no more. And she asked me if I'd seen Rachel and, and um, I told her, no, you know, I, I can't really hang out with any of the, those people anymore. And I had a, I did have a small fear about making amends to Rachel because finally I, you know, I, I knew in my heart that not only can I not save her, um, that it could bring up some emotions that would make me less than spiritually fit. If I tried to go make that amends right when I got out and old feelings would come up. And um, so I hadn't looked her up. And then she's like, no, Rachel's got off the methadone clinic and she don't take benzos no more. And she's doing good. And she got married was was the one untrue thing that she told me. But uh, so then I looked her up on Facebook. And I seen her throwing up the NA symbol. Um, and I knew what that was because my mom had uh, finally gotten into recovery, my mom and my aunt. So I had been exposed also to recovery um, up at this point before I before I got sober. Um, so there was also seeds planted at that time. If my mom and my, my aunt could get clean and sober, then, then maybe I could too. But anyway, um, I looked her up and she was with all these people I didn't recognize. And um, I... I messengered her, messengered, messengered. <laughs> I always love trying to say that shit. And um, I said, hey, how you doing? Uh, I just, I'm out now. I just want to see if you're okay. And, um, you know, and I, and she hit me back and I told her I need to make a, an amends to you. Um, I owe you an amends. And she messengered me <laughs> back that uh, if I was sincere about an amends, um, I'd let her punch me in the face. Um, and then I knew that... Uh, you know, this might work out. <laughs> I knew that so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. And I, I knew that she knew what an amends was. So I knew that um, there's a good chance she really had been in recovery. And it turned out she had uh, a year longer than me, a year um, clean and sober longer than me. And, um, and now you guys are together. You guys yeah, live together. You guys got a beautiful living. relationship. We get to see you guys all the time. We got a great relationship. And there were some trust issues because, you know, uh, we had used together. And and I, I don't think I covered that very much. But um. I cheat on her. She cheat on her boyfriend to cheat with me. Um, and then, you know, she, and uh, we get motels or stay at a, in a trap house overnight just to see each other. And um, I, I shot her up with dope for the first time. And, uh, you know, we give each other our drugs and, and very dysfunctional, um, no trust in the relationship, a lot of jealousy going on and, and resentment. And, uh, 
And yeah, this was so a yeah. So what, so what the, the important part is is that there's hope, right? There's yeah. hope for people who have dysfunctional relationships, and you're able to each work your own program, figure out your issues internally. And now today, you guys get to have a, a, a happy and healthy relationship together, and it's really a beautiful thing to be to witness and be a part of, and meet her and to see that. I mean, you had her name tattooed on you. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. the phone calls. I, I remember getting messages from yep. you saying you guys are together again. Yep. You know, you said when you ran back into her that you had a year and a half of sobriety. So. What I want to talk about next is uh, just a quick uh, progression of the steps, what that kind of meant to you, what recovery was like, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So right. we'll kind of talk about that. So what were the steps like, like w- figuring that out, having some realizations? So again, so what do the steps really mean? So to know the program is to know the book. Each step gives you a principle that's associated with it that is a must in order to truly effectively work the step. Each step is designed... Uh, to, to create some momentum going further, to get a result. There's a reason why they go from one to 12. It's just like school. You don't go from first grade to being a senior. So if you can just kind of briefly just kind of talk about some of the major um, realizations you had, some major important aspects of the steps through your journey of recovery. Okay. And, and, and you know, we talk about, you know, the journey of recovery being different for everybody and, and the steps, uh, different steps having different impacts on on different people and um but the schematic is there right the program is right there and and it tells what what it's supposed to give you now the way to those things um can be a little different for everybody you know some people you know they they consider step one when they when they first realized they couldn't stop using and they and they were torn between uh, fear of using and fear of not using. And, and when the fear of using finally became greater than the fear of not using, because there's a very real fear of not using, like my life is going to suck. I'm going to be bored. You know, like I'm going to hate, I'm going to hate it. And um, for me, I thought all those things. And, um, but it, I like to say it took me fucking 25 years of doing heroin to get to step one. So that shit was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me. Hardest step. Yeah. For me, it, for me, it really was. And um, I mean, the unmanageability, it's like, do we, most of us know that that's been a thing for, for years before we come into recovery, but what does it mean to really be powerless? Um, you know, I, I know that I think a certain way, and I can't stop thinking a certain way. I'm powerless over my own thoughts and I'm powerless over the emotions that these, these thoughts evoke and, um, and the disease of, of delusion and perception. And uh, Jack, the first, the first um, assignment he gave me was this, this CD by Clancy I. It was called the disease of perception. And that's why I say that all the time, disease of perception, disease of perception. And, and it's funny because he, uh, I came back a few days later and this was the first assignment. He's like, Hey, did you do that assignment? And I'm like, well, you know, I've got HVAC class and I work in the kitchen and I got to get in my workout every day. So now I, I and he's like, dude, you don't follow directions very well. And, and, <laughs> and immediately in my head, I'm fucking like, fuck you, man. You don't follow directions very well. <laughs> fuck off. And, um, but I didn't say that obviously, um, because you know, I didn't want to disappoint people still. And that, that was a, a fear of getting a sponsor in the first place. One of the fears was that it would ruin the fun of getting high ever again, right? Because I see my mom and aunt kind of stop getting high and they seemed happy though. Um, 
they were very happy. They would always clown around and were really the same people, just not spun out and fucking drunk. And, um, but I, I just didn't see that happening for me. So I didn't really want to ruin, um, the fun of getting high. And I didn't want to get a sponsor and then disappoint them because I really still didn't believe that, that I could stop. Um, but it, it's just like, carry on, do, do the next, do the next step, do the next right thing. Let's read, let's talk about this shit. Let's get down to some core facts about yourself and, and, um, and, and just trust that this shit worked for me and these other people that are telling you it worked for them. Just trust them a little bit, you know, um, they seemed happy. They seemed, you know, fit, always working out. Some of them were all slung down. There were people I, I admired. Um, they were still convicts, which is what I admired. So um, I started doing the steps and I started doing what I was told. And I listened to that disease of perception and, and by far one of the best persons um, I've ever heard to describe addiction and what it is and and how the disease is the disease of the way I relate to reality around me and the way I view my life as um, as relates to to reality and and, and life and shit and um so you you read the doctor's opinion you look at the NA step working guy and there's a ton of questions that are associated with step one you listen to the CD of Clancy right you do all these things and so ultimately through doing all those things you gather enough data and evidence yeah. and you make a connection where you're finally able to admit step one powerless and unmanageability and you also talked about uh, seeing others around you and they seem happy your your stepmom right your yeah. mom everybody the guys on the yard your sponsor all the guys that were in recovery yeah. and so ultimately they become visual proof to you and so ultimately just that seeing that believing that having faith that if it could work for them it could work for you that ultimately leads you into steps two and three right the, and the program at first I'm starting to come to believe that um, the program if it wasn't the higher power itself um, it was put there by something greater than myself, right? Because um, it's the story of how thousands have recovered and millions to this day, and there had to be something behind it. So I believed a little bit in energy. I have a real problem with the God thing um, at this point um, because I've been conditioned to believe God was a certain thing and, and, and God was a certain way, or not so much a certain way, but a certain thing, I guess you'd say. And, um, and I couldn't, do the Christian thing. And, and that's where, uh, Jack was, you know, a great sponsor for me because he had kind of an esoteric belief system in, in what a higher power was and what consciousness was and what ultimately God was. Um, cause the word God itself immediately brings to me a vision of, of Christian really, that's what it is. And you know what, today I know that if I would have, um, got a Christian sponsor and worked the steps fully, honestly, and thoroughly, then it wouldn't have mattered mm. because I would have came to the same, you know, realization that I have today. Um, and, and at the end of step three, Jack said, okay, turn your will and life over to the care of God, as you understand them. Um, do you believe that these steps could work? Do you believe that if positive energy or the universe or, or God or whatever could have put this here for your life and you're here for a reason and a purpose now. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, let's do the rest of the steps then. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and that launched me into doing the rest of the steps. And, you know, I got to four and five and, <laughs> and I, and I was pretty honest on paper 
and pretty thorough on paper. And I and I would I'd sit in HVAC class and I and I'd spend the first two hours doing um, the classwork, and then I do a few hours of fucking step work. And I'm glad I had that time to do it because, you know, I was bored out of my mind from the class. So what better thing to do than step work? So looking back at it now, it's God put me in that HVAC class to, to do fucking step work. Mm, sure. If we believe yeah. nothing happens in God's world by mistake and uh-huh. everything happens for a reason. And that's the whole thing, right? All these opportunities were always there, but it, we never did our part. It's right. a 50-50 relationship. I have to do the footwork and have some faith that if I do the footwork and I live in these principles and I do the next right thing and I put one foot in front of the other, the outcomes will start to be good in my life. And so that leads you into step four. You start to understand some resentments and really look at that. Um, you start to understand your fears, the no. sex inventory, right. uh, relationships. So I put this um, the end question in step four was, is there any secrets you've kept? Is there any um, reservations you may have? Or did you not tell your sponsor something? And I put a question mark because I, I didn't know if I was going to really come out with some of the things um, that two of the things specifically that I had done. And one of them more so than the other. And um but it, these meetings and the people in recovery around me have been drilling it into my head, dude, like reservations, dude, they'll kill you. Resentments, mm-hmm. they'll kill you. Like step one for me literally became fucking, if, if I keep using, I'm going to die. And it could be the very next time I used, I'm going to die, you know, and, and I had to treat step one that seriously. So that, that helped believe that something could help me and, and I better fucking find it. And it didn't really matter. Um, how I did it, but it was going to be through these steps really. And, um, and, uh, so I put that question mark and I told myself when we get to that question, then I'll make the decision if I'm going to tell him. Um, did you tell him? Oh yeah. And I don't know to this day, if not telling him that, uh, would have made a difference or not, but, but, but you weren't going to take but I was doing chances. this honestly and thoroughly, sure. you know what I mean? And honesty is an indispensable principle without which you will fail or could fail. Um, and I had been picking up enough honesty, open-mindedness and willingness up to this point where I was just like, fuck it. And so I told him, I says, yeah. Um, one time I let a gay dude jack me off <laughs> and he goes, uh, I said for, for 20 clonopin, 15 cl- it was like 10 clonopin. <laughs> so I almost lied about the story because uh, 20 is better than, <laughs> than, than 10 15 or 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I told him and, and kind of laughed. I think he saw um, that was hard for me to say this shit. And today I say, dude, if you ain't had a gay sexual experience, dude, what are you, what are we even doing? Yeah, you're in the wrong place, yeah, what the hell? You ain't I? had enough pain. Yeah. Yeah. You what were wanna, you doing out there? Yeah. You might want to go find another sponsor. That's almost as <laughs> no. bad as someone coming into the program with a car, money in the bank and a 401k. Oh, yeah. What well, are you doing here, brother? Smoking too much weed on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's what it talks about. It talks about getting honest, like step five. It says having persevered with the rest of the program, they wonder why they fell. They never completed their right. house cleaning. They took inventory. All right. But hung on to some of the work first items in stock, right? And so that's why we're only as sick as our secrets. When those things are inside of us, when we don't share about them, it's that one circumstance, that one event, that one thing that I did that causes me the most guilt, shame, embarrassment, remorse, regret. That's the perfect combination of the storm that I need to want to change the way I feel, right? 
So nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. And it's like a weight when we do a fist step, man. And all such the, a relief, dude. In a withholding nothing, every twisted character, every dark cranny of the past. Yeah. And then there's some promises that come with that. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect ease. Yeah. Our fears yeah. from, fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. Yeah. And that's what well, promises. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so we start to feel those things, man. And it's the beginning that leads us into six, where we start to understand that we're going to let go of these attachments with our yeah. character defects. We reaffirm that seventh step of prayer. Uh, the third step prayer with the seventh step for me, it's a continuation because amen comes at the end. Um, and then you had some amends to make, right? And yeah. so you, you know. let me, let me state too, that, you know what I've, I've sponsored at least a hundred dudes up to this point, And I have still yet to hear anything that blows my mind. That is just so crazy. You know, that, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my experience too. And we always think, you know, that our <laughs> shit is the worst, dude. But you know, and I have heard some crazy shit. Um, yeah, me too. But dude, it's like I've not heard something that is so fucking out of the realm of of, of possibility that you know it's like for fuck, this ain't gonna work for you. You know what I mean? Um, so. We always think we're different, right? Yeah, we, we always, always think, think my we're my stuff course, isn't so. as bad. You haven't done this, apart. right, dude? Sure. Everybody. All of us have done some pretty crazy shit and um, and shit we're very ashamed and, and guilty of. And that shame and guilt is what leads us back out. And that shame and guilt is what makes it that so we can't change our perceptions. And, and, and these delusions still look good to us. And the, and the delusions um, work to for, for our ego to feed off and protect. You know, um, sure, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, you know, a defense mechanism. And you know? so ultimately, when we get to the six and when these character defects are moving the objectionable and letting go of these attachments and everything from four and five and creating a new identity and understanding some humility in seven where we need to, we, we haven't got nothing figured out. There's a lot of work to do, but we could appreciate that we do have some character assets now. Yeah. And so now we start to look forward, but it's so hard to shake those character defects because, sure, like you said, they had value. They worked. It was a defense mechanism. It allowed me to continue my negative behavior when I would lie, cheat, manipulate, steal, and it would work. Yeah. Now there's value associated with that. But just like everything, they work until they don't work, right? right. And so then we get into making some amends and repairing yeah. some relationships and maintaining these things. And six and seven is the springboard to that. So six and seven, you know, I'm going to have God remove these defects of character and the way that um, I'm going to I'm going to put in my work. So, you know, and, and leave the results up to him. And um, and doing that is by going to make these amends. So that sure. start that starts alleviating some of the guilt and shame, the residual shit that um, you know, I I still feel like, you know, you you have you still have to meet God halfway. So if you're not really willing to do that shit, then you, the, that guilt and shame and shit will come back, and it will still haunt you, and it'll still be in the back of in the dark corner of your mind until. It has a chance to do doing push-ups in the parking lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's right. Burpees. We, we always love that. Yeah, we always that love cliche. that saying. Yeah. Yeah. Your addictions out there doing push-ups. No, yeah. we're not. And so if we believe that we have progressive disease, right, and we can understand that, dude, then that tells us that we have to have an extremely aggressive recovery and we have to be willing to go to way farther lengths than yeah. we ever went for our addiction. We have to be willing to do that for our recovery. And there's 12 steps. Sure, right. Not seven. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people get to seven. They stop making their amends. They I, yeah, don't, I think it's a problem. Um, yeah. I think, I think that, um, 
you know what? I don't know if amends are really that hard to make. I think part of the problem is that you just uh, get complacent in, in your recovery. So mm-hmm. you make this big, lo- long list of amends and shit, and you make some of the important ones, and you the people that are directly in front of you and, and surrounding you, you make these ones, um, and some of the others fall by the wayside. And, and you, you're not actively seeking some of these people out anymore, um, but they're still there. They're still on a list. I went a long time laying down at night, um, falling asleep. And I remember something else I did and someone else mm-hmm. I owe an amends to. And I get up, turn my little lamp over my desk on and fucking jot that yeah, shit and down. Write it down. And, um, and, and, you know, and the, the way to make amends is pretty clear cut in the book, but, uh, you know, there's some controversy over certain shit, like, um, unless to do so would harm yourself or others. And, and uh, do you put yourself in a position where they might lock you back up? You can't take care of your family. I think that's a, a, a personal thing. And you should talk to some people in recovery about um, to get a more clear cut. Um, so we can't use it as an excuse, right? And a lot of times people no. will do that, right? Yeah. So it's important to have a sponsor, analyze each single one, right. figure out the healthiest and best way to make that amends in an effective way yep. and still clean the debris um, that you've accumulated out of effort to run the life on, run on self-will. Right. And realize that, you know, my brain um, still uh, resorts to rationalizations and justifications mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat because that's how, that's how I'm programmed. And that's that, the, the neural pathway thing that Jason used to make fun of me in, in, <laughs> in meetings, meetings. About, <laughs> in front of everybody and shit after I had this fire ass share that my well, ego was super attached yeah. to. And then, I got your name on an amends list, brother. <laughs> no, that's all right. Listen, you and, made, you and so, made them. and so listen, so the, the, uh, the principle associated with step nine and making those amends is discipline. Cause it's going to be a lifelong process. That is, that is, you know, that discipline is something that gets overseen as a spiritual principle mm-hmm. a lot, but you're absolutely right. And that's a good reminder that, you know, we can use it in all aspects of it, sure. but you're right. Discipline. And so you end up working the steps, having spiritual experiences going on and sponsor a lot of guys, but through this period of time, I got moved off the yard. You had started recovery in this journey. I wasn't there for the majority of, <laughs> of what you just described of you actually working your steps. A few months go I by. Made, I made an amends to Lieutenant Randolph. But yeah, you did. I did it with the buddy system. Me and, me and Ronnie <laughs> had to both go. We both wrote him an amends, and we held each other's hand right up into the office and made it. And it was, it was, uh, it didn't go, I guess, good or bad. It was you just kind of stared at us with this blank stare. But um, I'll tell you what, leaving that office, I, um, I felt good. I felt good about that sure. shit. And who's gonna make? Everybody hated that dude. Yeah, everybody hated everybody him. did. And uh, it was being willing to do just a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And so I end up coming back to the yard. Right. And so I come back to the yard. And when I left, I had a bunch of dead. I didn't leave in the best circumstances. They had moved me to Kingman. I went through a whole bunch of things there. Um, for if you've listened to the the first episode that I ever posted, the gift of pain and desperation, yeah. you can uh, you can connect the dots by listening to that episode, um, which it's got a ton of views, and a lot of people have listened to I it. Imagine you, um, I always imagine you washing your your boxers in the sink and shit. Yeah, and that yeah, 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 that happened. It's, it's funny. And so I end up coming <laughs> back to the yard, and you know he was my friend. I owed him some money amongst a bunch of other people, but I when I left, I told him, hey, I'm going to pay you. Don't worry. I gave him fake Western Union numbers that weren't even legit. I never um, even checked them. You and he already knew, right? He already knew it was bullshit. Um, so I remember coming back to the yard. He was the one person that I wanted to see, man. I just wanted to, because the only program I ever worked previously was, yep, step one, powerless and unmanageable. I can't lie my way out of it. And I go straight to nine, making amends. So that's what I did. 
Um, I went to go make an amends. And the crazy part, which I, uh, you know, choose to call a God, um, he was looking for me as I was looking for him. Man. And we met, he found out I was back on the yard and I was going to see him. Um, and we met in the middle of the yard, man. And I went to just say, hey, look, I'm sorry. And he said, look, dude. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, look, I completely understand, dude. I get it, dude. I'm not worried about that. We'll worry about that another time. I'm not worried about that now. I found recovery, dude. I don't want to leave you behind. There's a nacho party meeting, which will forever hold a special place in my heart. He said, they're having nachos. There's a meeting. You got to come. I didn't tell you about the nachos at first. Oh, you didn't tell me about the nachos at first? No, I just got you to the meeting. And then you found out and was like, dude, you should say, tell me this was a oh, nacho I, Yeah, because I came empty handed. I don't have anything. Yeah. yeah, and I almost tried to leave, right? Dude, I paid extra for you. Already. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. did. And so I, I show up in this meeting and I'm already seeing him uh, after being gone for so many months. And seeing him, I could immediately recognize the change. He became visual proof to me that this thing worked. I remembered him and seeing him the way that he is now, I could I could really see it, right? And so I end up going to that meeting. When I walk into that meeting, I start to see a bunch of guys that I knew before, Adam Tronier and and uh, you know Thomas Lancaster and Charlie Brown and oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Ronnie Allen, who I didn't know, but he looked healthy and had new shoes on and he had nice clothes <laughs> on, right? right. Um, and He's I started brownies too. <laughs> and I started to see all these people, right? And I start to understand that if they can do it, I can do it too. And I went into that meeting and I had a spiritual experience and I got a sponsor. And I remember latching on to you, dude. I was at your house. First off, I had nothing. So you give me coffee and chew and socks and clothes and, and food. You were helping me. And I, you know, anytime during the day, I would be at your house. And, when, you know, you started to show me the program when you would speak in meetings, I would listen. Um, and my story goes on from there, right? But this isn't about my story. It's about your story. But I'll always forever be truly grateful because mm -hmm. if it wasn't for you getting me to that first meeting, I truly don't think I'd be where I'm at now. The, the fact was, I believe that God put you in my path way back when, when we first met, ultimately for that moment, and I had the opportunity either to take that corrective action and, and take a leap of faith and go to that meeting or continue to do the other things that I was doing before. But I took the right path this time and the, and the rest becomes history. Um, that North Unit Fellowship, man, there's so many guys that have just, you know, we've defied the odds, right? We've completely defied yeah. the odds. Um, together, sure, together, we got to witness, you know, when you first were going to meetings, how many guys were there? Uh, seven or eight. Seven or eight. So right before you went home, how many guys were in the meetings? Uh, between 35 and 40, usually sometimes 45, 50 sometimes. And we're talking five nights a week. I mean, yeah. there's standing room only. I mean, guys are getting emotional. Guys are sharing. Everyone's got a sponsor. Yeah. We become the biggest gang on the yard. Yeah, the fucking, the meetings run an hour and a half and we got to get ushered across the yard because it's been closed for 15 minutes and yeah. Yeah, and so we're and we're all helping each other, man. And and so you end up getting out of prison, dude. We have this experience together, dude, where we're all doing recovery. All the friends, we're all in recovery. We're all helping each other. We're just a bunch of guys trying to be better, trying to figure this thing out and become the best versions of ourselves. And we all start to find our own path and continue to elevate ourselves to become, again, the best versions of ourselves. So ultimately you get out and I kind of want to touch on this because I don't want your ego to get too involved as you say, it. but you get out of prison, right? You go to a halfway house, you go to one of Joey Landon's places, you go to the sanctuary who actually I work for now in their inpatient treatment center. Yeah. You go to sanctuary. You don't have, I mean, you save some money, right? You saved a little bit of money because you ran a store. Things got better for you. Uh, a little bit, not, a, not, a not lot, very much, but it didn't matter because I knew I was going to be okay. 
And because you previously said you you had a plan, right? And so that's ultimately what ends up happening. We have a plan. And when we get out, all the key to having a plan is executing. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. You got a job. You work with Rodney Maui. Um, you still work with him. You've continued to make more money and do side jobs. Um, you've moved out of sober living. You got your own place now. You got a relationship with Rachel. You guys are thriving there. You got a car. You bought a better car. You got a brand new truck that you bought, paid for cash. That is yours. Mm -hmm. Not to mention you continue to email a ton of guys, including myself, while I was gone and support us. You still email guys to this day. Um, you're continuing to go to meetings. You're continuing to sponsor guys. You're continuing to carry the message. I know for certain that if I called you anytime, day or night, that you would be there for me, dude. And that's something that is is hard to find. And we have this group of guys. Um, service commitments, you've always had those. We have a service commitment together at Crossroads. Um, saving money, being financially responsible, doing all these things and everything that's just continuous. Stocks and shit. Stocks, crypto. I mean, you name it, dude. Crypto. I mean, you name it, dude. You're involved in it. Every single promise has materialized over and over in your life. Easily. Um, and sometimes I forget that shit, dude. But then, you know, um, when... When I saw you on the yard and, and, and got you to that first meeting, I, I believe exactly the same thing as you believe that that, that that all this shit had happened the way it was supposed to and and that it was a part of this plan, this thing we call God's plan. And, um, and that was a spiritual experience for me as much as for you. And, and up to that point, I had been able to, to start identifying spiritual experiences. And, and I, I truly believe to this day that you can have that every single day. Mm -hmm. You can have a spirit. And um, Esther Wallace likes to say that if you if you um, don't know if you ha have had a spiritual experience, then you probably haven't. And and I love when it, when I hear that because that's true, dude. Mm -hmm. And um and I and sometimes I still need to be reminded, dude, because I still got an ego and I still uh, build up this um, false pride and I and and I uh, identity um, I attach to identity and um you know when I'm when we talk about this thing when I'm helping other dudes when I'm sponsoring other guys um when I'm when I'm holding to my commitments it the feeling I get is what is what matters. It's it becomes a spiritual, spiritual experience. Spiritual intoxicated yeah. is what it talks and, about. And that's what matters. The truck, that's nice. The stocks, that's sure. nice. All this shit's nice. But the relationships I have with the people around mm -hmm. me, the way I feel in the morning, um, when I when I go to bed, I, I feel good about myself. This is the shit that matters to me. And um, and once you really start getting that, you know, when you hear um, a head full of AA and a, a body full of dope don't mix. Fuck no, it don't mix. Not at all. That shit does not mix. Sure. And um, you know, because now you have so much more to lose. You and it's that feeling you have. If I if I lived at a halfway house um right now and didn't have a vehicle and was taking the bus, which I was when I first got out, just as happy as I am today, you know, and really today yeah, it's sure about they, be, yeah. be staying aware of uh, of what I need to do to, to keep that. And, and, and I keep it by giving it away and, um, and I, and I'm fallible, you know, I'm human. And sometimes I forget this shit. So, you know, things like this remind me dude of, of why I started doing it in the first place. And it, and it makes me remember that I matter and everybody that I come in contact with matters. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to even articulate. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, 
it's a spiritual experience. And if sure. you, if you, if you don't know what that is, if you don't know you if you've ever had one. that and you ain't had one, but come get some, yeah, come sure. get one, man. We can show you how to get yourself one, not show you how to do a psychic analysis on yourself, like looking in a mirror, doing what a psychiatrist does, but for yourself to yourself, getting to the root of some of this shit, washing it away, starting to have faith and trust in, in a higher power. That shit's beautiful, man. And, and dude, I, I you know, I, I never, ever hear somebody say, well, I wish I wouldn't have done them fucking steps. I wish I wouldn't <laughs> have done that. But I do hear a lot of people say, why didn't I do that earlier? Yeah. Why didn't you I got do everything to gain, nothing to lose from it. It's one thing to believe in God and a higher power. But once you start to experience this power, and it's not about the material things, those are accomplishments and those are nice things, but it's the internal happiness that we get. And when we experience God, we experience it through prayer, through meditation, through music, through sports, through fitness, through being present in the in the relationships in our life with the people that we love, showing love as an action word and letting our actions represent the love that we have for everyone. Yep. You know, we went skydiving together. Yeah, that was bad. We went skydiving. Yeah. Before too long, Ashley's coming. Yeah, Ashley's coming. <laughs> <laughs> we're going, I mean, skydiving. We just had a dinner party for our friend's birthday with 30 guys that we're all in prison together. Now we're all out sober 30 working. 30 dudes. Thir I mean, if miracle. you're listening to this and aren't in recovery and, and you've been to prison before, can you imagine having a party years after you got out with with 30 dudes from the yard? All sober, that? all healthy, all successful, all thriving, all helping each other and all showing the love that we have for each other. Yeah. I mean, the, the promises materialize over and over in your life and it doesn't talk about material things. Sure, it says fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Sure, that's part of it. But it's being present in the relationships and enjoying life together. And it's all about having fun together, man. That's what this thing's all about. You know, when I look back on everything, man, to get to this point, to be sitting here right here, right now, after everything that we've been through, dude, yeah, it's nuts, dude. I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing God right now, yeah. sitting here with you doing this podcast for sure. Dude. And, yeah. and so, you know, we're, we're being spiritually intoxicated, man. And at the end of the night, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we like what we see, man, we don't want to change the way we feel, yeah. but, but we're not different than anybody else. Anybody can do this, man. You just got to be willing to put forth the effort to really dig in deep, to really Really do some soul searching and to really ignite some change, man. So you can you can ultimately remove the obsession to want to change the way you feel. Yeah, and that's and that's what it's about is um, being the real you after that obsession list. Because if you're living in the obsession and compulsion of addiction, um, you know, and I'm not trying to judge or, or knock anybody, but you don't you don't know who you are and you don't know what love is and you don't know how love really feels. And when um, I don't do this because I have to. I do have to, but, you know, I could choose not to, I, you know, today, all these commitments and, and working with other guys and going to meetings, I love to do it. I, I get to do it. I don't have to do it. And, um, you know, it, if you have a fear of, of stopping getting high because life's going to be boring or it's going to suck, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, it, it's not what it is. It's not what happened. It's beautiful. And so life's beautiful today, dude. And I'll, I forever love you, dude. You're a big you part too, of my man. system, my support system. You're one of the best friends that I have today, dude. And I cherish our relationship, dude. And uh, dude, thank you, bro, for being here. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this amazing gift, this podcast you got going on, dude. It's, it's amazing. So remember, if you want to, if you either get busy living or get busy dying, who's, <laughs> com who's coming with 